Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is John Leland. He, uh, he's joining me for a perfect six. How's it going, John? Good, Brett. It's so good to be with you. So you're a, a digital marketing strategist and president and creative director of Combridges.com. What does that mean? Combri- what is digital? No, digital yeah. What is, what is a digital marketing strategist? Uh, I help people communicate online. I really love helping people tell their story and get more visible. Uh, so that includes everything from website design to designing email marketing funnels, Facebook advertising, Google AdWords, and, and especially online video. I've been doing video bef- long before there was a web and uh, this whole revolution in online video and people being able to be authentically present like as themselves and communicate directly through video. So I'm doing all kinds of web video and, and video webinars too. I recall you doing video. So I worked with you, uh, I contracted for you years ago. Right. How long ago was that? I have no idea. Had to be a decade I, ago. I, I'm saying I'm thinking longer than that. Yeah. So it was it was yeah, I mean, a I, digital I, lifetime ago. Back, I'm back to California from New York. I think I, I was here. So yeah, I mean, it could be 20 years ago. I don't think I'm that old. 15 or 20 years. Uh, let's say 15. Fif- compromise. 15 years ago, we worked together. 15 makes sense. Um, what, 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 what's the most exciting change that's happened since those days? Since those days, I, I think it's the video. I mean, I, I, I think that online video and, you know, Facebook live and YouTube channels and, uh, all kinds of social video are changing the face of the web. I mean, if, if it's too, it might be too long an answer, but I mean, I, I love this old New Yorker cartoon, uh, where there were two dogs sitting in front of a computer. I think this was actually before the web web, like 1993. And one dog says to the other in the cartoon on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. And I think that a lot of people make the mistake of not really presencing who they are and their heart and their authenticity and the value that they really want to contribute. And, you know, so stock photography would be the worst thing you could do at least have a picture of who you are so people get a sense of that but video takes it to a whole other level and the accessibility of the video tools and like i said video webinars and be- being able to communicate like almost person to person because they get to see you and hear you and feel you in a sense yeah. uh, it, it's just getting going i mean it's like we're we're going to be seeing a whole lot more of it and in the same way that the web started out with HTML and was basically text only, and you saw a few pictures. I think we're going to see more and more and more and more that the web becomes a video channel. Yeah. For communication. Yeah, I mean it makes sense because I think you're right. I think a lot of people, uh, they just they're not used to the idea of complete strangers finding them and knowing nothing about them, and they assume that what they have to say is going to tell them enough about who they are. And I have, it's the first recommendation I give to people when I look at their, they're like, Hey, can you check out my about me page? There's gotta be a picture there. I need a picture to start forming context. And I'm sure that it can be uh, detrimental in some cases. Like if you're dealing with racism and sexism and things that you would just assume not deal with, if they're going to interfere with what you actually do. But for me, the picture uh, it makes all the difference and a video even better like hearing someone talk i have to have a video first time i work with a client remotely i have to do a video chat first yeah i mean it's exponentially better i think and and i have i mean i have stories about literally about the racism thing you're talking about and and i think fundamentally we want to work with the right people i just did a weekend workshop called tribe marketing about finding your right people and, and I told a guy who came to me about digital marketing, an African-American guy he, who was afraid to put his picture on and told me the stories about things. And I said, dude, you don't want to work with those people. That's I mean, fair. you do not want to work with those people. So if they're going to look at your thing and go, oh, you're black and, and then, you know, not want to work with you. Great. I mean, it's like if they're not your people, you don't want to you don't want to waste your time with them anyway. Yeah, I can't imagine being hired and then hiding who I was after that point. So yeah, I would want to filter that. 
Yeah. So the more they know about you, and, and I mean, it actually gets down to, in, I mean, we're talking about engagement, really. And I know that's a buzzword, but, but you know, you want to connect with people in an authentic way. So the more of you, the more vulnerable you can be, the more real you can be, the more, like, tell the truth about who you are and what you're up to. Like, I, I'll give you a good example. I mean, I'm seriously anti-Trump. I'm not afraid to say it. And it's like, if you don't want to do business with me because that's where I'm at on the political spectrum, and I, I respect other people's views. I'm not saying don't have your own views, but if you don't want to work with me because, you know, I'm on the liberal side of things, that's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> it's like, but, you know, on the other hand, when I talk about it, tell the truth, the people that are in my tribe go right on. I love that you have the courage to say that. I'm just bringing it up as an example. Yeah. So, but it, but it's a, it's a big long subject that we can get into if we do a longer thing. But it's like people, <laughs> the perennial question is, what do I do about my professional Facebook page and my personal Facebook page? Because I don't want those professional people to see that I'm, like in my case, posting all this stuff about Trump. Sure. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't have to subscribe to my personal page, but if you want to, then know that there's going to be some of that in the mix. Yeah. I uh, I had this moment yesterday where I was trying to figure out, uh, someone said, what about all of the Christians that Obama jailed because they wouldn't renounce their faith? Which is just, I, I didn't have words. So what is the proper response? Is it to just stop, drop, and roll? Uh, walk away? Do you start a <laughs> sentence that starts with, show me one case of... Because that never leads to good things. What? How do you do that? It's hard. I mean, it, there are people that just are not able to listen, and um, and don't want to be reasoned with. They're and apparently watched, really good at listening to right wing radio, but right. I know. I mean, there, but fake news is a really big thing. It. I mean, I guess it's a bigger educational issue and we'll get to my third pick which is has an educational dimension for sure but uh it's i mean it comes back to fundamentals like media literacy uh you know i mean i've i've been a big advocate about media literacy and people understanding what goes on on television and how video editing works and you know kind of this whole you know, what's going on with journalism. But the fake news issue obviously was a big part of what Russia did in meddling with the election. And people need to develop the discrimination to know what fake news is, just like they need the discrimination to know if somebody's trying to scrape their email and get them to click or get them to click on some kind of, uh, you know, false solicitation in their inbox. It's like that. So we have we have a job to do, Brett, to educate people. Yeah. So that they can tell the difference. But educating people in person can be futile in a lot of cases it really is i mean there is there is a time to say i, I just don't think this conversation is going anywhere <laughs> and there are other people that are open to a real dialogue and but that is it's it's sad it's tragic how rare that is in some these days are you watching i love you america sarah silverman's no. show no is this your first pick no no, this is this is a random aside on this conversation. Um, okay, I love you, America. What? Whose show is it? Sarah Silverman. Oh, okay. No, I haven't seen it. What? What's it on? It's uh, on Hulu. It's a Hulu Hulu original. Oh, so I have to subscribe to Hulu. Yes, it's worth it. She's worth it. She's amazing. I want to get her you, on this show. How would you compare that to Samantha B? She, it, it's a very different style show. It's not a new show. It's, um, it's a show about reconciliation of a seriously divided country. Oh, good. It, it, it's heartening to watch. It's still hilarious, often heartfelt. It's, yeah, it's good. Yeah, she's, she's got some depth. I love that you called it, that you said it's not a news show, and I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> You mean not The Daily Show or not, and not Samantha B because they're covering current events more. Right, right. It's so funny that that's on our side, like that's a kind of news. It, what, honestly, it's more real news than a lot of the uh, uh, partisan news that's out there right now. So, 
No, I mean, cable. I know cable news has become awful. And I do. My second pick is an alternative. to. We cable. should just do the picks, huh? I, I feel like we've I, we've led into them twice already. I know. Well, I'm I, I'm a promo <laughs> guy, so I like to tease stuff like that. <laughs> All right. So coming up after the break, uh, what's your first pick? I was just kidding about the break. I know that was confusing. <laughs> you did. You got me. I'm like, okay, I'm pause, I'm, I'm on pause. I just, you know, teaser promo. So go ahead. Yeah. First pick. My, my first pick is is Workflowy, which uh, I asked you about. And I was completely surprised it's never been on your show. Uh, and you and I have, I mean, one of the things I love about you, Brett, is, is your web excursions and all the apps and, and things that you find. And I have been on my own journey with I don't I don't even know how many to do lists and outliners. I mean, I was thinking about it. I, I used an, a Mac word processor called more that was an outliner back in the early Mac days. But Workflowy has won my heart and soul. I will I don't think I'm ever going to look at another to do list program. And I use it for much, much more than to do list. I mean, it's a it's as I, I, I took a note off of their website because it says about as concisely as I can imagine, and clearly, Workflowy is a zoomable document that provides unprecedented flexibility in organizing your ideas. And, you know, it's just elegantly designed. I can move around with few keystrokes. It has this fabulous zooming feature so that, for example, if I have a client project and I take a bunch of notes about the client project, I can just click on that, the name of the project in this big massive outline that I have now, and it zooms up and I get, have a page of only that. They also have recently come out with a desktop, it, it's a web app, uh, but uh, they come out, came out with a desktop version, which I'm also finding very useful to just have it separated out. It's cross, you know, you can use it on your phone, use it on your iPad, whatever. Uh, I, it's, it's an amazing, flexible, simple, powerful tag search the things that you would expect but it just works and those those pop-up windows when you click on the thing i can share with clients and they only see their outline they don't see all the rest of the stuff that i have in my outline so it's shareable by segments it's just unbelievably flexible and useful and i don't know why i need anything else <laughs> and that's saying something have you used task paper task papers Task paper. Yeah, no, I haven't. Oh, it's it's very similar similar to this. It uses uh, a plain text format uh, that's super simple, but when you're within the application, it looks a lot like what I'm seeing in Workflowy's demo app. Uh, and you can use at tags, and you can have at tags with values. So you can have like at do, and then in parentheses, a, a ISO date. And then you can use those to sort and run search queries on. And then you can click on like a project header and it will filter to just show that project. And it seems very similar, uh, but it's mm -hmm. not web-based. Although there are, because it's a plain text format that TaskPaper created, there are web interfaces for it as well. So this is interesting. Yeah. I, I actually, I use TaskPaper every day, so I can, I can, say that I agree with this kind of uh, open structure outlining for the purpose of uh, task manager and uh, additional notes. Right. I mean, another thing about workflow is, is it's free and they have a very generous free offer. And if you sign up other people, they give you more. Uh, they basically it's fully featured and they limit it, I think, at 250 items. Um, so anyway, I, I, and I signed a couple of people up, I didn't have to pay for it. And the people are so un money oriented and trying to get you to sign up. In fact, I sent them a note and said it was too hard for me to find the button to sign up and pay you for a year because I just want to support the development of this product. And I think developers should get paid. But, uh, anyway, that's, that's how much this app has changed my life and, um, and you know if it's a similar model task papers is probably cool too if you, if you like it i'm sure it is <laughs> so how are they paying for like what what is the assurance that there will be continued development on it if it's that I, hard to pay for it 
I, you know, I don't, I don't know all the back, the back story in terms of the developers. I, I know that they've been there and provided support and that they just did launch the desktop version. So they're certainly continuing to work on it. Um, but you know, they seem to do it as a labor of love as well as I guess there are other people paying. I mean, I paid 50 bucks, I think for the year, uh, you know, which is a reasonable software cost for something that you use every day. I mean, I use it a lot. Yeah. So that's why I want to support it. For but, sure. You know, I, I don't know their business model and business roadmap and all of that. All right. Well, it's we'll simple again, and there's definitely no pushy selly, you know. Can you export not... your data? Uh, yeah, I, yes. Yeah, I've, I've exported PDF, and I'm, I'm sure you can export the data. Um, I would have to take a look at that because it's not something that I've needed to do. All right. All right. <clears throat> so then my first pick is going to have nothing to do with that. I... <laughs> I didn't well, get. A, we don't organize it in advance. So yeah, no. These are all surprises to me, so I didn't plan a theme here. Um, my first pick is actually going to be uh, a forest yoga position that I did this morning, and I realized it's my favorite. I haven't done it for a year now. Um, it we call it bug on a windshield. Like all of the forest poses have animal names. And this one has always been called in the classes I've been to bug on a windshield. I'm not sure if that's the official forest yoga name, but it's like a hip opener inversion um, where you, you are up against the wall. So you're doing a handstand facing the wall with your toes on the wall. And then you drop one leg down to the side until it comes to the bottom and you're in a, a vertical split. And then you bring it across back up and then you hop the the toe that's still on the wall you hop and bring the other leg back up into position so you do a full circle with each leg it's really wow. fun i love that one well you've become like a yogi man i was like i mean I, I don't follow it closely but it's impressive i know you've changed your body dramatically and anyway i guess listeners to the podcast are aware of your journey <laughs> but it's 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 impressive and inspiring is what i wanted to say well, thank you. I, uh, yeah, the idea, if I had seen this pose done even just like a year and a half ago, I would have just shaken my head and said, I'll just stay here in child's pose. No problem. Um, but yeah, it, once you've developed the flexibility and you start finding out how much fun it is to do these things that look both, uh, frightening and unnecessary at first, <laughs> you try them and and you get it and it's like the part of the journey is like getting yourself flexible enough to do these things and even even once you are flexible enough it takes warm up you have to go through like at least a half hour of opening different parts of your body before you can pull these off and i enjoy mm -hmm. the like i immediately picked up on in in yoga classes the the warm-ups each class would be different and so my brain started putting together, okay, this series of exercises and stretches are opening these parts of my body so I could start to guess where the apex pose was going to go. Like what was what had to be most open to pull off whatever the big pose of the day was. And I enjoy that, um, I, the science of, of sequencing a yoga class. That's fascinating to me. Yeah, I, well, and I, what's fascinating to me also is is this thing of learning stuff that you didn't like. You said a year and a half ago, you you never would have even tried it. And I, I've been I've been learning to play the ukulele, and uh, I've you know when I was and this maybe a year ago, just doing basic you know one two three four strumming, and I was like, how do anybody does any do anything else and. Recently, I got challenged to learn something called the island strum, which is more complicated. And when I was starting with, I couldn't do it, and but I worked at it, and now it's completely comfortable. And you know, it's like anything we can learn if we're willing to. And the same thing applies to video. I mean, people are afraid of video, and they get started with video and doing their own video. And uh, but when you practice and you start doing it regularly, you can do things that you didn't think you could do. And it's pretty cool about the human being, but Sometimes we're too afraid or cautious or whatever to learn new things. So 
again, good good on you, bro, for uh, taking on the yoga and finding that you can learn new things. And I'm, I know you're feeling better because of it. If you see someone do something that you think, oh, that's cool, and then you try it and you can't do it at all, does that make you think, oh, it's better if they do it? Or do you bear down and become determined to do it? It, should, it totally depends what it is. I mean, I, I like music. I've always been into music, but I haven't really been a musician but I'm learning. I'm learning the ukulele because I like to sing, and so and now my, and my girlfriend is all is into music and is a musician more, far better than me, and you know the opportunity that we get, so the fact that we have fun with it and it's fun for me to sing that's what turns me on about it. But there are other things where I could want to do something, and if it's like a should, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. It has to be. You have to feel drawn to it. You have to want to do it. For there's something about it that speaks to you and you know, th that, that motivation is, is what's important. But a lot of people have those calls and they resist them and they don't do them. And they're, they're you know, fear is a very real thing. Yeah. I, I, have realized that I should be more afraid of certain things. Um, just because someone else can do it doesn't mean I have to figure out how <laughs> I, there have been many times I have figured out how, and then realized I didn't really want to do it to begin with. So, um, a little bit of, uh, something in the forefront of my brain that would say that's cool but not for you would be helpful i would i would waste a lot less time not trying to do these things but well, bug bug on a windshield that i wanted to do yeah you got you were excited about it. it it's it's interesting because i talk a lot about in the marketing context that you know how it's a journey and you have to be willing to experiment try things like, you know, in the yoga metaphor fall down once in a while, but it, it's, we, that was one of the things I got out of the, it was a, this workshop this weekend, Jeffrey Van Dyke, um, was, he used the hero's journey metaphor, you know, the Joseph Campbell hero's journey. And we hear the call and we resist. And a lot of times people quit and they don't recognize that it's a process. I did a little workshop with, with an ukulele teacher recently, and it was so cool the way he did it. It was a beginning workshop, and he would say, okay, this is the basic thing, and kind of make it accessible and simple enough that we could begin to learn it. And then he would go, and if you stick with it, you can do this. And, then, and, and you could make the connection between the elementary, you know, fundamental, and then this guy who could like, sail and like he was just like dazzling and amazing with the same kind of riff but just like take it up several octaves or I don't know what the right metaphor is so anyway it's a process and you have to be willing to be a beginner sometimes I uh so when I was a kid I took piano lessons and I I was mechanically proficient at piano and uh, then I dropped it in my teens and just started playing guitar um, then in my 20s, I went back and I took this workshop that was basically piano for guitar players. And it it let me throw away all of my previous piano experience and then correlate the keyboard to the fretboard. And for mm. some reason, all of the sudden, piano made way more sense to me at coming at it as an extension of a fretboard. And all of a sudden, I could be way more creative I, I don't, sometimes it just, a different approach works for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really true. It's really true. I have a friend that's been trying to learn ukulele and she hasn't found the same kind of teachers that I have. And it's been much more frustrating. There's nothing, no matter what you're talking about, there's nothing like a good teacher. And it sounds like sure. that, that other approach really shifted the whole thing for you. Yes. All right. So what's your second pick? My second pick is the Daily Podcast from the New York Times. So it's just called The Daily, uh, but it's from the New York Times. And it's the best piece of certainly podcast journalism that I've heard. A lot of I have, my, I have a son that's a podcaster, and he helps me learn about the whole podcast landscape. But obviously, people listening to the show are already into podcasts. If you haven't heard The Daily from the New York Times, I can't recommend it highly enough. What they do, they're doing a couple things really, really well. One is they're doing storytelling in a really great kind of audio radio context with sound bites and 
you know, not like cable news and these pundits pontificating and arguing with each other. But what they do is they mix in the journalists. You know, New York Times has some of the best journalism journalists in the world. And they interview this guy, Michael Barbaro, who's the host, interviews along with the other sound bites and uh, the journalists who are covering the story. So if it's something about ISIS, there's this woman reporter who I've heard several times now that studies ISIS and talks about what's it like on the ISIS chat rooms that she monitors. And I mean, it's just fascinating backstory from the people that are digging deep. So it isn't like a newscast, like here are the headlines of the day. But they'll take one of the one or sometimes two of the big stories of the day and drill down into the background uh, and the perspective. I mean, I'll give one more example, which is I don't know if you're aware that there's an extreme gerrymandering case uh, before the Supreme Court now. Uh, the way and at this point, it's the Republicans that are doing the major gerrymandering, which is really altering the way elections work to such an extent that it's being challenged in the Supreme Court. And they went, the case that's before the Supreme Court, I learned from the Daily, is in Wisconsin. And they went, they interviewed a Republican uh, state assembly congressman, whatever that's called in Wisconsin, who had been to the secret Republican room where they do the high math, big data, you know, calculations of how to skew the election based on gerrymandering. Yeah. And, and he's he's actually come out and, and is a supporter of this should be illegal. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I've heard from that guy. Yeah. So anyway, it, it was just like a full in-depth background story that I never would have gotten from reading the paper and certainly would have never gotten from watching cable news. And they're consistently doing that quality reporting that uh, I actually feel better informed after I listen to it, which is not the case a lot of the time, for example, watching cable news. <laughs> so my equivalent, and and this actually sounds like something I totally would get into, plus New York Times is the only only newspaper I pay for, because um, everyone put up these like pseudo paywalls where you can read like a certain number of articles, and then all of a sudden it starts putting up the blocker that says, you clearly enjoy our articles, you should pay. New York Times, I, I pay for. Um, but Vice News uh, H on HBO, uh -huh. they do very right. similar. They just tackle, it's not a headline news show. They tackle right. in-depth certain topics, and they do an amazing job. Uh, when they did yeah, the... I, I like Vice, too. Yeah. When they did the, uh, the Charlottesville protests, and they actually mm -hmm. embedded a reporter with the white supremacists... And right afterward, we're able to present the entire event from the white supremacist side. That was crazy. Like, it was really good, too. Yeah. Fascinating. I, I, they did. They did. A, they did. A, particularly that Charlottesville. But Vice is really. And it's that's video journalism. It's mm -hmm. kind of interesting because they're they got they did more in-depth video about Charlottesville than any other organization in the world. This daily is a podcast thing, and so it's interesting because it's audio journalism designed to be listened to the way that you listen to podcasts. Um, it's Monday through Friday. So anyway, it, it's it, it's an interesting thing. I, w I would also throw – I do pay for the New York Times myself too to have the online access. Um, the Guardian is the other publication, which I haven't paid for yet, but they don't require the paywall the right. way – New York Times does or the Wall Street Journal does. Yeah. But they're they're very they they do some really good reporting too. I, I have always loved The Guardian. Um I, I will say well and I, I mean I get into super <laughs> leftist rags, uh Mother Jones and whatnot. And uh but The Guardian has always been the most balanced of the kind of liberal reporting for me. Um but yeah, I I've never had to pay for The Guardian. I can just read that every day. I would uh, so here here's my my current thesis the silver lining to the current political atmosphere and not just to Trump but the long running attack on the press is that after Trump it became so vitriolic that the news had to prove itself and we are seeing better journalism now than we have in decades. 
we're seeing uh, they've been forced to prove this is real news. We are going to show you how we sourced everything. We're going to back everything up. And this is stuff that I do believe journalism has done all along, but now they are forced to present it. And honestly, I'm, I, I want to become a journalist again now. Good. We need it. Yeah, no, I, and I, I, it was funny cause I was just down in LA for this workshop and um, somebody said to me a very similar thing to what you're saying that, I mean, he even went so far as to say, you know, the New York times was dead. I mean, they really were not nearly as vibrant as they are now. And it's, and it has been in response to Trump and trying to get the truth out that both the New York times and the Washington post have experienced uh, a, re, a re, resurgence, rekindling, whatever you want to call it. Well, and I think um, a lot of us readers have also jumped to defend free press, like the oh. thought of, you know, somehow stopping the major networks, except for Fox News. That's a revolting idea. Like, I don't care what your belief system is to have all of your news coming from such a partisan, um, um, what's the propaganda based media would be yeah. horrifying like that is not democracy so no, i think I we've know. all we've well, all risen to the occasion and need to keep going yeah uh, you know, and, but it, i yeah we're on the same page and we can we could keep going on this riff because it, it's we are the media i mean that's something that that you know the one of the things that's made me really passionate about the web and and video also is the democratization of the media so that we can create our own media my friend scoop nisker who used to do a very famous news show here in san francisco area um used to close every show by it if you don't like the news go out and make some of your own and you know that's more true than ever and we also need that educational component of both the media literacy I was talking about before, but also the democratic literacy of, you know, how do we participate as citizens? And, you know, we know such a ridiculously small percentage of our country even votes. And now those votes are being gerrymandered. And plus the, you know, the Russian meddling and the, you know, God forbid the actual hacking. And, you know, I'm worried about all of that. The voter suppression, you know, I mean, is this so much that we need to, strike back about this is this is a whole other conversation now because yeah, I honestly I could go off on what, what the detrimental effects of the democratization of the news has been as well um, right. like it's there there are definitely two very extreme sides to that coin um, it, it is great what well, we'll save this we may have to do a whole episode you and I and this can be a, a further conversation in it um, uh, Any time, Brett. I'll jump to my second pick, which once again is a complete non sequitur. Um, I thought Vice was your second pick. No, that was just a sub pick. Oh, okay. I sub I sub picked you. Um, it's your show, so you're allowed sub picks. My my second pick is actually the poet Elizabeth Bishop. Oh. I am not a poetry guy. Um, the extent of my knowledge of poetry has been for the purpose of wooing people um i i have no innate love of poetry in general however there are occasionally in my life uh poems that uh just grab me that either because of brilliant wordplay or because of imagery or just because of raw feeling they grab me and uh and I had never heard of Elizabeth Bishop, which I know is reprehensible to anyone who actually enjoys poetry. But I just discovered her from some random quote in a newsletter. Um, so I, I looked it up and I started reading and ended up buying like two compendiums of Elizabeth Bishop poetry on iBooks. Worth it. Cool. Yeah. It's it's really not normal for me to sit and just read poetry as much as I've always wanted to be that guy. I've always thought, Oh, guys who are into poetry. They're super cool. I want to hang out with those people. I want to be like them. Just, I, I have to admit it. It was never, it was never really there. 
And I can't say I was either, although I I can put in a sub pick, which is uh, a documentary I watched, I think, on Amazon about Lawrence Ferlinghetti, the beat poet from San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, Really fun. And, you know, that's more the Allen Ginsberg and stuff is a and and I guess some Mary Oliver. Um, But I don't read a lot of poetry, but it's funny that you mention it because there's an overlap into my next pick. Which which came out of well, I'm not trying to get into it yet, but but it came out of listening to uh, Tim Ferriss's podcast and he interviewed Tim O'Reilly um, from O'Reilly Media and they they spent uh, a bunch of time talking about literature and reading and novels and and Tim Ferriss admitted that he's only recently like you gotten into poetry and uh, you know has become a fan. Have you ever read so, Bluettes? Blue Bluettes. It's, it's no. a it's a series of poems about the color blue. Um, I have to look up who the author is, and now I'm not going to know how to spell it, so I'm going to not find it. <laughs> oh, well. Email me, put it in the show notes, maybe. She's really good. Um, yeah, no, I I will have to. I'll put that in the show notes. That that is one that I have enjoyed reading as well. She the the poet behind that is she's hilarious but still uh she says things that make you just instantly like emotions come to the surface and you're not even sure why those okay so i guess i am into poetry i just have to find a gateway into it that i hadn't had before right have you ever um read any david white not sure W H Y T E. He's um, Irish. I think he's half Irish and half Scottish or something. Uh, he's amazing, and he's a philosopher as well as a poet. And some of his stuff is kind of quasi prose, but he's all over. You find him on Facebook, for example. Um, really, really uh, powerful stuff. All right. And about, uh, kind of about the life journey. I will look that up. Yeah. All right. So. Your third pick. It, it's the new books. Are, do you think we can presume that everybody listening to the show knows who Tim O'Reilly is? I, I think that's safe, yes. Okay, good. So so he's got a brand new book that just came out in October called WTF? Question mark. What's the future and why it's up to us? And I haven't read the whole book, to be completely transparent, but um, he takes the kind of perspective that he's had from his you know, long career with open source and web 2.0 and all that kind of important stuff that makes a big difference. And he's framing it into the economics of the future and addressing real world issues like jobs and how everybody has this point of view, the technology is taking jobs away and how if we reorient our values, I'm doing my best at this, reorient our values towards helping people. Like he, he made an analogy about you know, in the 50s and in the post-war era, everything that Congress did, the interventions that they, as a government, was about creating jobs. It was about helping people. And and since then, kind of as we came through the 80s in particular, the whole objective got oriented to creating shareholder value for the big corporations and their profits and, you know, basically making it about money. And that's not only led to the crises, but it's means that we're not taking all the technology in innovations that we have to solve human problems and help people. And if we harness the technology and make our economy about helping people, we'll create a lot more jobs. Like, you know, Uber and Lyft have created a lot of jobs, even though they disrupted the whole taxi car, taxi business. Anyway, I can't really do it justice because I'm still reading and, and getting a handle on it, but it's a kind of visionary uh, and very, you know, he's a very thoughtful guy who has tremendous depth and has been there, done that with this whole economic arena. I mean, one of the things that I think originally connected you and me, Brett, was around open source and and the values of that. And, you know, we need more of that in this world. God knows. And and so he's identifying the disease of the way that our culture has made shareholder value and profits and money more important than people and health and the environment and things like that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a perspective on economics and on where we're going as a culture 
that it, I think is sorely needed. And Tim O'Reilly articulates it in a way he, he, that I, I think very few people can. Interestingly enough, he didn't publish it himself. It's with a big, uh, big imprint publisher. <laughs> That's not O'Reilly. Right. It's not an O'Reilly <laughs> book. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, no, I, I would check that out. I, uh, I'm close to needing a new book to read. I, you read nonfiction? I, I do. Um, I'm currently going through a very large compendium, compendium of Philip K. Dick stories uh, mm-hmm. and finding a bunch that I'd never read before. So as soon as I finish that, I will be once again scouring bookshelves. So this sounds like a good good choice. Yeah, and he's he's all over the place. If you want to check it out on YouTube or whatever, there's a really nice little, you know, as a video producer, I like seeing well done videos and the little two minute promo that the publisher did uh, is really well done. And then there are bigger interviews. I mean, this Tim Ferriss podcast interview was like two hours. I don't know. Tim Ferriss gets into these long conversations. And I guess my tip on that is if you don't want to hear all the backstory and all this personal <laughs> stuff that they talk about the first hour, skip to the second hour because that's where Tim O'Reilly takes off about the book and and talks about that stuff, which I think is really what's the most important to hear. I'm I'm going to add a note to that with a link that jumps to hour two for those who want it. Um, <laughs> Good. Um, I, so this just randomly sparked as you were talking, but did you hear about, do you know who John Draper, AKA cap and crunches? I know the name, but I wouldn't know more than that. Like, uh, back in the seventies when, uh, it, when freaking like phone hacking started. Oh yeah. 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 He's the guy who figured out that the whistle that was packaged with cap and crunch, like in the bottom of the box, Right. You could blow it into uh, a dial tone and it would give you the ability to make long distance calls for free. <laughs> International calls for free. Right, just right. with no, this, and, this and 20... Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak were into that. Right. And this 2600 signal. Um, it, he has now been accused by multiple people of going to conferences and using his kind of legendary status in the hacker community to sexually assault young men. Oh. And I have a feeling like, I mean, we're seeing this, this wave of sexual assault accusations that, Huge. yeah. And, and it's, it kind of had to happen like this. If the culture is going to change these, if you deal with these on a one at a time basis, people are quick to forget. So this kind of disruption is great, but it has, it's been a little painful to watch heroes taken down. Granted, this isn't brand new news about John Draper. Like he's kind of always been known in like the DEF CON communities as a little bit of a weirdo and a creep. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, still, I uh, George Takei and uh, Al Franken, those are the two that are uh, hurting me the most right now. And I am actually, I'm withholding judgment on both because at this point, as far as I know, they're both single accusations about things that after an ethics probe could be um, maybe not the loss of a job, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, and Al, 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 I mean, at least Al Franken has apologized and own it, you know, as opposed well, to immediately. Yeah. And uh, they're, I saw a lot of stuff like you and I both. I think we read mostly liberal news sources. So everyone's kind of praying for for Al Franken not to be a bad guy. Uh, They're looking for ways. And most of what I'm seeing is uh, that uh, Roger Stone actually has a lot to do with these accusations, which to me is horrible, both that uh, Franken could be taken down because of it and because it's going to cast if if the allegations are proven to be some kind of hit job then it casts doubt on all of the other real accusations coming out so uh, it's a lose-lose situation at this point for me anyway yeah it's a tr- it's a troubling development i mean you know it, it's it's hard to feel i mean i i'm less concerned about franken frankly than i am you know, that the president of the United States has gotten away with what he's gotten away with. And, 
you know, the, the mm-hmm. state of Alabama may well elect this guy who is, I mean, that's not a matter of like a couple things. And of course, he hasn't owned anything or apologized for anything, <laughs> you know, and we don't know what's going to happen there. But, that you know, there's just this whole other culture that makes that stuff OK. And that making that stuff OK is far more alarming than, you know, and, and the fake news thing, which we've already been talking about. Yeah. Oh, politics are fun. All right. So what's your oh, wait? That was your last pick. You just did that pick. And then Correct. I co-opted it somehow. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> so um, my last pick, yeah, in the immortal words of Ned Stark, uh, winter is coming. And here in Minnesota, that means many nights inside the home. So I have been scouring for new two-player games. And the first one, I've, I've purchased many at this point. Uh, and tried them out. The first one that I could easily recommend is Abalone. A-B-A-L-O-N-E. It's a uh, hexagonal board where you have a bunch of marbles and you can move them one at a time or in groups of two or three in the same direction or simultaneously laterally. And your goal is just to knock six of the other players' marbles off the board. And it it's simple. The gameplay is simple to learn. Uh, the strategy is kind of like as you start to realize what different... What getting yourself into different formations can do and what the result of, you know, dropping a couple of marbles into someone else's formation can do in the over the course of the gameplay game takes about we'll say 20 minutes uh if it's well thought out and it's been a blast i'm 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 jonesing to play this game in the evenings now play it over dinner now so that is my there will probably be more as the winter progresses here um as i am super into games right now but that is my first uh board game pick can i do a sub pick on that one absolutely not, not, but different. The, the ancient Chinese game of Go. The, when I first, so the the pieces in this game are black and white, and okay, when I first opened it up, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be some variant of Go." It's not, but it did it did make me think. I really need to relearn how to play Go. Uh, should I learn to play Go? Yeah, Go, Go, it, it, Go is like one of my favorite games ever. I've never seen anything like it it's like this so it's it's the oldest continually played board game in the world originally invented in china way before bc and um i think it's three or four thousand years old and had it migrated to korea and japan and, and it came we migrated to the united states from japan so we call it by the japanese game go and it's uh you know has like this depth that makes chess look like child's play because of the thousands of variations. And it's a beautiful spatial metaphor. It's about territory. And um, you attempt to surround your opponent's pieces while they attempt to surround you. Um, and I don't know, it just, if, if you have that kind of aesthetic, like I'm not into word games and Scrabble. My, girl, my girlfriend has like five words with friends games going at all times. Um, I just am Me not too. interested in that. Um, <laughs> uh, but I love spatial stuff. So Abalone sounds sounds interesting. And Go is phenomenal. Like, you know, most people probably know that the supercomputers have been able to meet, beat, sorry, supercomputers have been able to beat chess masters for many years. And it was a, uh, a big AI question about when there would be a supercomputer powerful enough to beat a Go master. And they didn't think it would happen as soon as it did. But last year, the Google AI was able to beat a Go master. And that was like a huge milestone for AI that it could go to the level of sophistication that a Go master has to have to recognize the shapes and the patterns that go into being a good player. It's it's something that anybody can play because the rules are really simple, um, way simpler than chess. Um, you're just putting black and white stones on a board. Um, but... Um, the variations and the complexity are endless, and you can never master it. They, they, uh, 
they handicap people and they have levels of you know from beginner up and 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 in in, in Asia they're huge professional networks. There's two, Korea I think has two cable channels that are 100% go the way we have the golf channel or something like that. <laughs> and they I, you know and they have professional players like we have professional baseball players and tennis players and golfers and so forth. Um, they have professional go leagues and go people that you know you open up the newspaper and they have go puzzles like the way we have crossword puzzles or sometimes chess puzzles. Wow, I I had no idea it was that. I didn't know there were channels. I just looked up. I, I'll send you a link to an article that was in, I forget Fortune or Forbes that I happened to find a couple of years ago. You know, go the game to end all games or something like that. That gives a lot of the fun history and backstory. Um, it's pretty cool. So the the Google AI that won against Lee Seedall was um, it was called AlphaGo, uh, right, devel AlphaGo, developed by Google DeepMind. That DeepMind. Yeah. That's yeah, Google DeepMind. That's the word. That's the name I was looking for. From Big Blue to DeepMind. That's yeah. I feel like that's a really good, uh, because games like chess and Go, they there are mathematical possibilities, but there's also creativity uh, and thousands of variations. So yeah, no, I think that's a that's impressive. And it, just looking at a Go board, not knowing how to play offhand, looking at a Go board in this video of uh, Google DeepMind beating Lee. Um, I imagine this has probably tenfold the combination possibilities that chess does. I think it's I think it's way more than that. Yeah, um, I believe that. I'm sure it's in one of those articles. But the 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 other thing I don't want to scare people because you can play go on a nine by nine grid, and I think they there's a thirteen by thirteen grid, and then when you play the full game, you go up to nineteen by nineteen. You're right. And and I when my son and I were learning together, we started out on nine by nine and thirteen by thirteen, and I'll never forget the day we played our first nineteen by nineteen game, and it was really like, OMG! I don't even know how to express it. It's like mind boggling. Like, <laughs> oh, what do we get into now? <laughs> yeah. All right. So that may be on my list of winter games to learn. All right, well, let me know, and I'm happy to... It'd be fun to play online. What's that tea house we would go to when I was in San Francisco? Well, it's right there by the uh, MLK Fountain in Buena Vista Park, but I don't remember the name of it. That was always good. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'm so, I love that you're into tea, and you mentioned Pu'er, I think, before we went on the air, but... <laughs> yeah, well, we had a friend who lives in... Uh, currently in Ojai, uh, California, and... She sent as just like a a gift package. Uh, it included a a brick, uh, a tuca of um, pu'er from a tr like a thousand year old tree, and like this age, I don't even know how much this would cost if you were to buy it in the U.S. But it was amazing. I I like pu'er, but I honestly prefer. Uh, greens and yellow to pu'er most days. This this right. was a pu'er that would have sold me on pu'er instantly. Yeah, pu'er tea is amazing stuff. I don't know if you've ever done that as a pick, but it, not a lot of people know about it. I, I w got to go to China briefly in 2011, and uh, or maybe it was 2010, but whatever, um, and just happened to discover it at the breakfast at the hotel. And um, it's very medicinal. It's supposed to be really good for cholesterol. Um, and it has some kind of nurturing quality to it that I haven't found in other teas. I am a fan of it, and I I don't know why I don't drink it every day. It's like I like it that much, but I, I don't. Do you drink coffee at all? Oh, yeah. I have found on days when I don't want coffee, usually for intestinal reasons, pu'er is my substitute. Okay. Uh, Pu'er has a ton of caffeine. Uh, it depends yeah, on how you brew it, of caffeine. course. Yeah, I, I mean, if you if you use boiling water and you brew it for twenty minutes, <laughs> you get a ton of caffeine. Oh well, that's not how you're supposed to. I brew know, it. I know. I'm saying you can you can turn it into coffee. But it is fascinating <laughs> the way it, it it has this quality, unlike other tea, in that you 
you're supposed to rinse it twice before you brew it. And then after that, you can get three, four more cups out of the same leaves. Yeah. And in yes. fact, the, sec the second cup is stronger than the first one. And I will sit down and do an actual tea ceremony on occasion. But most days, if I'm drinking tea, I'll take a, th a tea thermos, I'll fill it with boiling water and whatever tea I want to use, and I will just let it uh, steep until I'm finished drinking it and then refill it with boiling water. And <laughs> the, my, my tea friend who runs Mandala Tea in uh, Minnesota would kill me for saying that. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty distressed myself I, just hearing it, it. It's okay because I do actually know how to do it. I do know how to do a one minute and then a two minute and then a three minute steeping with a rinse beforehand. But I I uh, I take shortcuts. Well, just pretend that you're you're speaking to your yoga teacher about doing bug on a windshield, and you want to do it the right way. Right. And, and I have often been chastised by yoga instructors as well. Um, I get chastised a lot. It's okay. Yeah, well, that's part of, part of your charm. <laughs> I have actually heard that before too. Um, <laughs> that's good. Well, listen, uh, let's do this again soon. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for being here, John. Uh, you can be found on Twitter at uh, John Combridges, J-O-N, no H. You are H-less. Right, I'm, a I'm H-less. John Combridges, C-O-M-B-R-I-D-G-E-S. And uh, hopefully by the time this goes out, uh, Combridges.com will be in good shape, right? Yes, I'm sure it will be. <laughs> All right. If I I'll hit a, I'll hit a refresh button. I'm, I'm in the process of taking my own website live. I, I, yep, it's live. It's up. While we were talking, it came up. This is perfect. Perfect timing. <laughs> Combridges.com. C-O-M-B-R-I-D-G-E-S.com. Is there anywhere else you want people to be able to find you? Uh, I'm around. Uh, Instagram. I think I'm just at Jay Leland on Instagram. Okay. I have fun on Instagram. All right. I Yeah. I'm finding a certain charm in Instagram after I realized that people who are famous on Instagram have way more engagement than people who are famous on Twitter. And it was weird for me to realize that because people on Instagram are rarely actually saying anything. They were just showing pictures of their lives. And that's changed well, a little. Some... Like Instagram stories have changed it a little and video has changed it a little. But still, it's kind of... But, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm, it's growing on me. Yeah, people do write stuff, but I, I like the visual communication. Um, and it is, there are, in fact, I'm considering a guest post. I don't, I may have never, ever done a guest post on my blog, but um, a guy did a really nice infographic about uh, Instagram and Instagram engagement. And, it is, you know, it's, it's just less noisy than Facebook. And uh, it does have a, a different quality like the earlier days, of, you know, I mean, when I first got on Twitter, it was like part, part of the nice thing about Twitter was how few people were there. <laughs> yeah. And and Instagram, even though it's huge, is is uh, compared to Facebook is a little more selective. The people that have gotten into it, of course, it skews pretty young. So there was back when I ran an ad firm, um, 2000, early 2000s. Twitter was brand new and we actually ended up using it. I had a. Uh, a little uh, touchscreen display outside of the door. And when people would head to lunch, they'd be like out to lunch on Twitter and the touchscreen display would update to show their status. Cause we were basically just using it as this is literally what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and that would never work for me these days. People use Twitter in a very different way than they did when it was young. Yeah. That was a weird yeah. side story. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I remember when you were doing that status app. <laughs> oh, move last. <laughs> I, I, I'll run an idea by you and the viewers if anybody wants to give feedback. Because I went to Washington, D.C. for the inauguration and the Women's March. That was actually the first Facebook Live that I did. And um, I realized, I won't go through the whole story of how this came to me, but I, I have a website now, Social Media for Social Action dot org dot com 
And um, I, you know, one of my goals is doing online courses. And uh, I'm thinking about doing a course for people, you know, more, you know, 60s and 70s, if you will, who are want to be politically active. And they know that Facebook and Twitter are um, a big part of what's going on these days in the political scene. But they really don't know, you know, Facebook from a frying pan in terms of how to organize and really kind of communicate effectively. So that's one of the courses I'm thinking about developing. I'm open to feedback and if people think that's a good idea or not. All right. So contact John via Twitter or Combridges.com. I assume there's a contact form. Yeah, there's there, so. a contact page on yeah, absolutely. All right. And I am Brett Terpstra. You can find me at uh, brettterpstra.com. You can find Systematic on Twitter at Systemcast. And there's no E in that. I don't know why. Oh, because it was taken. So S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T. You can also find me on Twitter at TTScoff. And you can join the Twitter community by checking out the Slack room at signup.systemcast.net. Again, no E, although I think I registered the version with the E, so it'll just redirect you there just in case. Anyway, thank you for being here, John. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brett. It's really a pleasure to do it. And uh, thank you for all that you do. Keep up the good work. And we'll see everybody in a week. Thank you for listening.